And I was thinking about my message last week, and I thought, one of two things, I thought, if, if I didn't know me and Darlene and know our situation, I would assume that we have really deep pockets, uh, or that I was being braggadocious, one of the two, because I talked about uh, we spent $20,000 on an attorney. That was a really weird deal, and I'm not going to get back on that again. We had a guy sue us for our property. That's bizarre. That's crazy. And so I said, we spent $20,000 on that. And you might think, well, I wish I had $20,000 lying around. We didn't. It was probably all on credit cards, you know, just trying. But it was either that or say, here, you can just have our property. And then I said that uh, we gave $18,000 one year above our giving. And you could say, well, I wish I had $18,000 throw around. Well, we don't normally have that. It, was, it happened to coincide with, with the uh, uh, inheritance that we got, a small inheritance when my father passed away from my mother and father's estate. So for those of you who think, oh, man, they got deep pockets. We'll keep confessing it, keep believing it. You know, that's, that's okay. Is my, is my mic still coming through? Kind of draw, okay. Uh, so keep, you know, keep believing that. Now, here's, the, here's just a little recap of where we've been. Uh, God, it's God's plan. It's God's plan to prosper you. It's, it's, you didn't come up with the idea. It's God's plan. Deuteronomy 8, he said, if you'll follow after me, everything's going to come into place. It wasn't overnight, by the way, if you read it. It says, it says one day you'll look around, you'll be living in a fine home, you've eaten a good meal, you're satisfied. And he says, um, everything you've had has increased. And said, when that happens, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to say, praise the Lord. That's it. No groveling in it, just praise the Lord. He said, be very careful because you may say to yourself, God didn't have anything to do with this. It was the strength of my own hand. It's my own work, my own energy, my own education, my own fortitude that brought about all this blessing. And God warns us in Deuteronomy, be very careful because it will unravel if you get to that. He said, I am the one that gave you the power to create or produce wealth so that my covenant, and to, to bring clarity to that, what he's actually saying is so that the promise I made would be fulfilled because I made a promise, God said. I made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to his descendants that with blessing I will bless thee and with multiplying I will multiply thee. Now we could say, but we're not Abraham or his descendants. Well, we need to study the Bible then because the Bible says, are you people of faith? Are you people who have received Jesus through faith? Then you are Abraham's seed or Abraham's descendants. And so we have a right to believe for that. So God said, I made a promise, with blessing I will bless thee, with multiplying I will multiply thee, and I want to make sure that promise comes to pass, so I've given you the power, the ability to create wealth. So, this, and I want to encourage you to believe that. Because I assume you're here because you love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you, you want to please him. And so if you've been convinced that Christians should be just barely a level above impoverished, and then somebody says, God wants to bless you, you'll say, oh, I don't think that's right. And you'll, you'll guard your heart. And I, I love the heart there because you're saying, I don't want to displease God because Ephesians says, find out what pleases God. And if you think this displeases God, you'll never believe for it and never hope for it because you'll think it's wrong. But God's the one that came up with the idea. Also, that giving is the key to getting. So we sow and we reap. We have seed time and we have harvest. I also want to clarify that that's for everything. That's not just money. Jesus said that. He said, if you're merciful, you'll receive what? mercy. You've sown mercy, you'll receive mercy. Sow joy, you'll get joy. Sow peace, you'll have peace. Sow kindness, you'll get kindness. Now, I want you to know that there'll be a time where you've been as kind, joyful, peaceful, and somebody will still go crazy, okay? But, but as a general rule in life, you reap what you sow. The Bible says a kind word turns away wrath, but there'll be a day where you'll be as kind as you can be, and somebody will still chew you out, and you'll go, 
Doesn't the Bible work? Yes, it does. And didn't say this will happen every time, but it'll be your lifestyle that you'll reap what you sow. And so if you need more time, you're stressed on, stretched thin on time, then find some time and carve it out and invest it in some way in church ministry, in a local ministry, some, some way to care for people, and God will help produce that. You say, how's he going to do that? He can't make more time. He can. In fact, you could have a task that takes you four hours a week to do, and God can give you a creative idea how to do it in 30 minutes. What happened? You just picked up an extra three and a half hours. You say, well, how's he going to do that? I don't know. I don't know how he's going to do it. I just know that God's able. In fact, we're going we're to end today with a verse, a confession verse that we leave, and it says this, that God is able to bless you. God is able. Actually, it says bless you abundantly. God is able. So we just need to trust God that he's able. But I do want to warn you that sometimes people say, well, I don't really want to give up any of my money, so I'll give up some of my time. When I give my time, then God will bless me back with money. But in the general rule, and I'm not saying he can't do that or won't do that on occasion, but in the general rule of things, every seed produces after its own kind. So if, if a farmer says, well, I'm getting ready to sow seed, and I got an abundance of wheat, but not a whole lot of corn, and I normally plant this 300 acres with corn, I'm going to plant it with wheat, but since it's my corn acreage, I'm going to plant it with wheat, but believe corn's going to grow up. We all would disagree with that, wouldn't we? It ain't going to happen. So wheat produces wheat, corn produces corn. Giving of your time produces an increase in time. Giving of your kindness produces an increase of kindness, of money or resources or talent or treasure, whatever. As we sow those things, God brings those back. Every, every seed reproduces after its own kind. And then we talked about daring to ask for more. Why do we dare to ask for more? If we get to the end of this and, and we become greedy and materialistic, I've done a horrible job of expressing what I believe God says. We want to give more and dare to ask for more so we can bless people. See, if you're here today, and, if, and I'm telling you, 99% of the people were here at one point or another. So if you're there here today, just that's okay. You start where you're at. If you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know how to put gas in the car. And you're talking about being generous. I, I don't even know how, I don't even know if I'm going to make it to work tomorrow morning on what little gas I have. I get that, but we start where we're at. And we start sowing and being a blessing right where we're at. And we start daring to ask for more because, again, our hook verse is, is that God wants to enrich you in every way, every way. This isn't just about money. But how many of you all know that it seems like the whole world likes money? Uh, you go fill up your grocery cart and say, hey, I don't have any money, but I'm going to give you the biggest smile you've ever had. I'm going to give you a great big hug, and I'm going to give you free prayer. And uh, for some reason, they say, no, smile and hugs and prayer isn't going to do it. We need some money for this. So money does, you know, is a big part of our life. So we dare to ask for more so we can be givers, so we can give. But it's not just about money. It's about all kinds of things, kindness, love, peace, joy. We all need more than enough of that. If you've ever been in unrest, you realize how priceless peace is. You know, if you've ever been in an area of strife and peace comes, it's like, oh, that's worth a fortune. And so there's so much more than just things. Well, I'm, this story I'm getting ready to tell you is so incredible, and it, it's going to remind you of the closing verse. God is able to bless you abundantly. It will not answer the question how, but it will answer that he can in fact, if you've ever been in a trial or a situation or struggle, if you're like me, I'm serious. I give God lots of options how to fix it. 
I say, I don't mind. Here's, you could do this, you could do that, you could do that. Oftentimes, he does not do any of those. He does his own thing, and God's really good at that, but he is unlimited in resources, unlimited in creativity. Now, I'm not joking about this. This is kind of funny to me, but it's not, not a joke. Look at the animal kingdom. God loves variety, and God is unlimited in creativity. I would have never made an aardvark. I just, it's just a, it's a cool little creature, but I would have never thought of that. I would have never thought of a giraffe. God's unlimited in his capacity and his ability and his creativity, so we just, we just need to relax and trust God. But here's a little story. It's been four years ago that I taught on this topic. Four years ago. So if you did not put into practice those things, just think about how far you would have been long if you would have put this in practice four years ago. So I want to encourage you to put these things into practice so I don't revisit this in four or five years again. You go, okay, it's been nine years now. I should have put this stuff into practice, so put it into practice. But every time I got up to talk on this topic, I would say this. Hey, guys, the offering's already taken, so I'm not trying to get more money out of you. We're not going under. We're blessed. All the bills are paid. Well, I'm not setting you up for a stewardship campaign. Now, if you say, what's that? Well, when churches do a stewardship campaign, it means we got a big project we're going to do, and we need lots of money, and it's in your guys' pockets. And so we're going to push and encourage people to give generously for a year, two years, three years, because we need to raise a lot of money. So I would say, we're not, we're not tricking you into a stewardship campaign. So I would say that every single week. And then a week or two after the message was done, Darlene came to me and said, hey, I'm really feeling a, a pressing, she believed was the Lord, to, to get the Founders Chapel created into a cafe and, and the kitchen remodeled. Now, I want to ask a question if you know anything about remodeling in a home. What are the two most expensive rooms to remodel in a home? Kitchen and bathroom, exactly. And so she said, she didn't have estimates or anything, she said, I bet that that'll cost us at least $30,000 to redo that kitchen and Founders Chapel. Now, again, it all depends upon how deep our pockets are. Some of you may say, that's nothing. Most of us say, that's a lot of money. So, she said, maybe I'd talk to the elders and see if they're interested in moving forward with this project, and maybe we can take up an offering and encourage the people to give for this big project. I said, there's a little problem with that. I just spent four weeks telling people, I'm not setting you up for an offering. And she said, that's true. She said, you know what, I'm just going to believe God for it. I'm just, I said, go for it, sister. You just believe God for that money. So she began to pray and trust God for the money. Where's it going to come from? I don't know. Well, two weeks after she began praying that prayer, we get this letter in the mail. Tracy McIntyre, Darling McIntyre, Crossroads Community Church, Elizabethtown, Indiana, regarding Hazel Evans. First of all, I don't even know who Hazel Evans is. Now, there may be a person or two here who do but you got to go way back because I've been here since 1989. I came here when I was 10. Been here since 1989, and I've never met this gal, Hazel Evans. It says, regarding Hazel Evans, so we read on, Dear Tracy and Darlene, our bank is a trustee of the above-captioned trust. The last surviving income beneficiary has died. With her death, the trust now terminates in favor of your church. I said, I like what I'm reading. Not that she died, you understand, but that, uh, okay. So I want to make clear of that. I am currently awaiting a refund from the retirement home, the final bill from the account, and once these are received and paid, the funds will be sent to you. 
that's it? What, what kind of funds? Because remember that I have a sister-in-law and a good friend who believed that their rich relative was going to leave them lots of money. About both of them got about 100 bucks. And I mean, they were thinking, one of them was thinking hundreds of thousands. The other was thinking at least 50, 60, 70,000. And they got enough money to take the family out to eat was about it. So <clears throat> this comes on February 28, 2018, about two weeks after Darlene and I talked. Two weeks later comes this. It's a check for $34,807.83. Wow. Where's God going to do it? He's going to kill someone and send you the money. That's, I have a horrible sense of humor. Please, please forgive me. That's not what he's going to do. And so we said, well, I, I haven't even talked to the elders about it because we just started praying about it. And so we sat down to tell the elders, here's, you know, told them the whole story, what you just heard. And they said, sounds like a God thing to me. And we'd been in the process of remodeling stuff anyway and taking care of things. It sounded like a God thing to me. Sad to report, that wasn't quite enough money to finish it. But happy to report, one of you out there wrote a check for the rest of the difference. So nobody ever had to ask or be begged for money. Isn't that amazing? I don't know. Now, I think it was Shannon was saying the elder meeting, he said, think, think about how strategic God had to be for all that to work out and come together at the perfectly correct time. See, that's mind-blowing to me. Child's play to God. As I mentioned about that supernatural debt reduction that we had where the bank said, hey, I know you guys are going through a hard time. If you can pay this amount of money, we'll forgive the rest of the debt. It only happened because my father had passed away and we had a small inheritance at that time because they wanted $8,000. And I can tell you, we, we didn't have $8,000 except at that right time. Isn't that amazing? God can orchestrate and work all this stuff out in ways that you can't even, even fathom. So be careful because if you're like me, I like to figure everything out. I like everything linear. I like to know how's this all going to work out. Let me just tell you this. God is able. That's all I can tell you for sure. I can't tell you how he's going to do it. I can just tell you that God is able. But I want to be faithful of doing my part, and God is able. I credit that, what happened with that letter and that check, from Crossroads being faithful givers since the inception of the church. You could say, oh, Tracy, you made the church a generous... No, it was a generous organization before I ever arrived. A minimum of 10% went to missions, foreign and domestic, plus, on top of that, taking care of the poor and needy. Plus, I cannot tell you how much money has just been given by people because they're connected to Crossroads. Let me give you a couple for instances. We had a missionary in here, and the missionary said... He's believing God for $17,000 for used small bus for these campaigns that they do. And he's very successful in winning people to Jesus in Africa. And so one of the guys that come to the church here at the time, faithful giver, heard that like we all did that were there for that meeting. And he had just bought a house. This was like Wednesday night. He just bought a house on like Monday or Tuesday. He was going to flip. You know what I mean by that. He's going to remodel it and resell it. Well, after he hears that, the very next day, he gets a call from a person who says, that house, I heard you're the one that bought it. I've wanted that house, and I'll give you uh, this amount of money for it. Guess what? It was exactly $17,000 above what he paid for it. And he thought, hmm, that kind of seems like a God thing. And so the missionary got that money, 
And the missionary got blessed because he got back with us and said, oh my goodness, I ended up getting two buses for that. And there were nice Mercedes, small, mini buses for that $17,000. So God even multiplied it bigger. Hundreds of times that's happened, I know, over the years that didn't actually go through the Crossroads accounting books. Are you with me? But it was a result of people's generosity here. There's another family one time, missionaries here, gave them a car, a really nice car. One time, many years ago, we had some people from all over the world who loved Jesus, and they were younger, 20-ish kind of people. Now, if you're 10, you're thinking that's old, but when you're my age, 20 people, age is, is young. And uh, one of them was from Poland, and she just said, mentioned she hadn't been back to see her mom for three years for Christmas. And uh, after the service was over, I had about five people come, we got to get that girl back to see her mama. And so they were pulling out credit cards and doing all kinds of things. And I don't know, they ended up grabbing the church phone, booked her, got with her and booked her an airline round trip to get home and get back, see her mom in Poland, out a couple thousand dollars spent like that. Let me tell you something. I figured this out. When there's a motivation, you find money. Because I bet if I would have got up and said, you know what, I was kind of wanting a new outfit. Does anybody want to buy me a $2,000 suit? People would say, we ain't got no money. <laughs> you know. The poor girl from Poland hadn't seen Mama in three years. There was $20,000 ready to be raised. Everybody's pulling out there. <laughs> when there's passion you know, and desire, it happens. So Crossroads has always been faithful and giving. And Darling dared to ask for more. And it's just interesting how all that happens. So I, I want to look today at the most important component of all this, and that is that, that prosperity. Now, again, are we thinking beyond just money and stuff? Prosperity is peace, too, and joy, spiritual vitality, friendship, family. It's all kinds of stuff. But prosperity comes from a kingdom focus. As we focus on the kingdom. We're going to look at that here in Luke chapter 12. This is Jesus speaking. I think we should pay attention anytime we're reading the Bible, but especially when Jesus is speaking. Jesus in Luke 12, 15 through 21, says, Then he, Jesus, said to them, Watch out! There's an exclamation point there. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's probably a good thing for us Americans to know. Because probably every one of us here, we can't get the cupboards closed, we can't get the dresser drawer closed, we can't get the closet door closed, we can't get into the attic, we can't even get into our garages because we've got so much stuff. Life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess. So if you've seen this bumper sticker, I haven't seen it for a long time, but I used to see it every now and then, and I'd see it on the back of it like a really nice vehicle or something, it would say, he who dies with the most toys wins. Anybody ever seen that bumper sticker? He who dies with the most toys wins. I want you to, that's not true, according to Jesus. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And so he told them this parable. Parable's a, a story with an important point. Here's the parable. The ground of a certain, what's the next two words? Rich man. So the guy's already rich. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now we just got to assume it's done this multiple times because he's rich. He thought to himself, now here's the problem. Jesus is a masterful storyteller. He thought to himself, notice where he's getting his counsel from. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He has barns, they must be maxed out. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store up my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. He probably had some for a few years, but now it's for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What we need to do as we prosper is not say, I wonder what I should do. I think I'll get counsel from me. We should say, Lord, what should we do? Lord, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with this? But he didn't. He counseled with himself. But God said, so now we've got somebody else speaking in the parable, but God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I can't help but think of another bumper sticker. Somebody must have read this and thought, I, I will solve that problem. You ever pass a big old expensive RV and there's a bumper sticker on the back that says, we're spending our children's inheritance? That's what, that's what hey, that's what I'll do. I won't let somebody else get it. I'll spend it. And then it says, then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be. Now, a lot of translations say this, and this is actually a good translation. Just other ones make it easier for me to prove this point. This is how it will be for everyone or anyone, a lot of them say, and we put a period there. But the Bible doesn't put a period there. We say, that's how it will be for anyone. So we say rich like it's a cuss word. He was a rich man. And we think it's awful. But that's not what the... what it says. It says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not what? Rich toward God. So we want to be rich toward God. Because when we're rich toward God, then we're rich in stuff. It's all his, and he can use it however he wants. I do want to challenge this, that we should never be upset about wanting to be generous people, because most of us will use almost all of our resources, our money, our time, our talent, our treasures, our giftings, our skills on ourselves. Most of us will use all of that for our own kingdom, which is just fleeting and will be gone. And apparently, God's not actually bothered by that at all if we're rich towards him. Now, you remember that the tithe existed 400 years before there was the law, but when God put in the law, if he said, I don't want people to have anything, he would have reversed it. He would have said, you're going to give 80% or 90% and keep 10. But even in the law, he said, you know, give 10 and keep the 90 for yourself. Apparently, it doesn't have any problem with you being blessed. So God's not upset with it, but I do want to encourage us to be generous, not just hoard and store. Only 5% of Christians, this always amazes me, I look this up all the time, it never hardly ever changes if it does, it's minuscule. Only 5% of Christians ever get to a level of tithing. And that's, I, I consider tithing 10% of your gross income. And to me, tithing's a good starting place. But the average Christian gives 2.5%, 2.5% of their gross income. So if you gave 10 times what the average Christian gives, you would still be using most of your resources for yourself. So God gives us some specific warnings here, and we want to take them very seriously. Number one, life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. So just getting more and more and more and more, that's not what life is all about. The second thing is share, don't hoard. You did get that from the story, didn't you? Share, give. Don't hoard. Share, give. The third thing is be rich towards God. That's where our priority needs to be, being rich towards God. Now, God's going to 
tell us, Jesus is, how to do that in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, 31 through 34, Jesus starts out by saying, so do not worry. Now I want to ask for a show of hands, but I bet if I ask for a show of hands, how many people have worried in the last week that most hands would go up? Jesus is saying, so do not worry. It's easier to say, easier to preach than to do, but apparently we can do it or Jesus wouldn't be telling us to do something that's impossible for us to do. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? That is the trifecta of every Sunday morning in the church in America. We get up and say, what am I going to wear? And we say, I wonder what I wore last week. And then I think, well, if I don't remember what I wore last week, probably no one else remembers what I wore last week. And so then we have garments out everywhere, and, and I won't say this for sure because I can't speak for every person but generally you ladies are more aggressive at laying out all these garments you know guys get in there and say yeah that shirt and pair of pants will work that's fine now not always but that's usually the way it is and then what do we say after church where are we going to eat where are we going to eat where are we going to eat what are we going to eat what are we going to eat well that's okay as long as we're not worrying about it it's one thing to want to know where you're going to eat. It's another thing to be worried about it. But here it says, for the pagans run after all these things. Pagans are unbelievers. So non-Christians, unbelievers, they're running after what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink. They're running after stuff in life. And the interesting thing is, again, we've been trained as Christians that God doesn't want us to do have anything. God doesn't want us to, to prosper. God doesn't want us to. But that's not what God says. He says, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you, what's the last two words? Need them. This has been a great point for him to say, don't run after these things because you don't need them. You don't need this stuff. But Jesus is going to give us a counter to the rich farmer. So here's, here's how we offset and we get rich towards God. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you see the contrast between the rich farmer and, the, and this believer here? The rich farmer says, I've got a lot of stuff. I'm going to live life and do whatever I want. And he loses it. The believer says, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God adds the other stuff to it. So God says, you, you can have both if you're rich towards God. Don't miss that if we're rich towards God. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Most of us have a basic idea of what that means. Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, we know the, the behaviors that Christians ought to have and that we seek his righteousness. Our, his righteousness, by the way, is found in Jesus. The, if we went to Second um, Corinthians chapter 5, we would find out if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. Then it will go on to say, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. So if you're trying to get your righteousness through good deeds or even if you're trying to get your righteousness by saying, you know, I... I've been giving big money in the offering plate. And I've been, you know, working at the church, and I've been doing all this. That, that's all okay in balance, but you're not going to get before the Father and have him say, whew, I never saw such big giving. You, you are, come on in. No, our salvation is found in Christ. We seek his kingdom and his righteousness, which comes through Christ, and all these things will be given to you as well. I always felt necessary to say this too. The scripture doesn't say seek only. It says seek first. Because somebody may be here saying, 
oh man, I was, I was going to look for a new car this week, but I guess I can't. I was going to go for that promotion at work, but I, I, uh, pastor said don't seek those things. No, I, I didn't. Don't seek first those things. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to better yourself or get a promotion at work or get more education or well, whatever it is that we enjoy in life. That's okay. You've got some hobbies and some fun things you like to do. Do, do them. Uh, just uh, a couple weeks ago, my good buddy Chris Ogles out there, uh, we went up into the Upper Peninsula and uh, went uh, uh, snowmobiling. That's something really fun to do. I didn't feel like God said, oh, you can't do that. You just got to go win souls all the time. By the way, you can talk to Chris. I am like crazy good on a snowmobile. And I got all kinds of Photoshop pictures of that that I'll, I'll show you. So we, you got hobbies. You got things you enjoy. You can seek those things. That's okay. But you're seeking first what? The kingdom and his righteousness. You're great students. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yeah, I was just going to say, do I get an amen from anybody <laughs> for that? It's interesting, in these few verses, Jesus starts out with, do not worry. And he ends with, do not worry. And if we're not careful, we keep worrying. Heard somebody say, worrying is like shoveling air. It just doesn't get anything done. Or it's like rocking in a rocking chair. There's a lot of movement, a lot of motion, but you're not going anywhere. So, and I've told people before, because sometimes people say, you must not love me if you're not worrying with me. You must not care. I want to know you, I want you to tell me that you're going to the doctor because you got an ulcer because you've been worrying about my situation. That, that some people feel like you don't love them if you're not worrying. But I tell people this, if worrying would help, I'd jump right in there with you. But it doesn't. It doesn't, and Jesus is telling us, don't worry. And sandwiched between that is, seek first the kingdom of his righteousness. So here's three keys. Don't worry. Second one, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. We've dealt with those. And the third one is a kingdom first focus produces blessing, and it produces blessing that lasts. It doesn't just produce blessing that withers away. It produces blessing that lasts. Now here's what I want us to do to experience a prosperous new year. John wrote, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit that began this whole series, Beloved, I would above all things, above anything I could pray for you or wish for you. That's pretty powerful, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So we see the material side of things, the physical side of things, and the spiritual side of things. We need to be healthy in all those areas. God wanted that. That's why he put that verse in the Bible. So I want us to develop a lifestyle. Now, a lifestyle is different than I kind of jotted some notes down, and I'll probably forget it by Tuesday, but I want us to develop a lifestyle. So let's look at that. Here's the lifestyle developed. Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. You're going to carve out time. You're going to make that a priority. When something else tries to take that priority, you're going to stop and say, nope, the kingdom's first. Seeking his righteousness is first. And, and you know the difference between just passively learning something and becoming a habit. Some of you here, you're going to brush your teeth every night before you go to bed. And I'm one of those people. I didn't used to be, but Darlene asked me every night, do you brush your teeth tonight? No, I brushed them last week. We're fine. And uh, so finally, I was a morning brusher, but not an evening brusher. So she'd keep asking me. So then, then I blame her for this. Said, you're the one that got me into this. 
Every night I've got to brush my teeth. And sometimes I'll say to myself, because just because of habit doesn't mean you always want to do it. I'll say to myself, I'm tired, I'm going straight to bed, I'm not brushing my teeth. Then I'll say, you know what, my teeth are going to survive till morning. Now, how many of you believe that? They would, wouldn't they? I still find myself in there brushing my teeth. Because it's a habit. It's been instilled in me. Darlene loves to keep the kitchen clean. She keeps the whole house clean, actually, but the kitchen is one of her things. It's a habit for her. And so I'm telling you, I haven't ever done the math on it exactly, but I'm guessing 360 out of 365 days a year, the dishes are done, the counter's clean, everything's done before she goes to bed. And if she goes to bed and doesn't get it done, she goes, oh, I should have done the kitchen. I said, oh, yeah, it's such a mess since yesterday when you spit-shined it and the day before and the day before and the day before. Sometimes she'll be heading to bed, and I'll hear her trickle out, and I'll hear the kitchen, I go, yeah, she can't do it. She can't do it. She's got to get that kitchen clean. And she gets the kitchen spit shine. That's a lifestyle. Now, I wanted to remind you again, that doesn't mean you always want to do it. In the situations I just told you, there's times where she, I don't want to do it, but it's just been so ingrained in her. It's like, I can't go to bed unless I go do it. So I want us to develop that kind of spirit for these, these lifestyle habits. We're going to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. The second thing is we're going to set a goal to be generous. If you've never been generous before, you set a goal, and I'll pick up on that on number five, but you just say, I'm going to be generous. Now, you're silly to compare yourself to other people because you're at different stages in life. You have different incomes. I mean, do you remember if, if, if you're a young couple with young children, you remember how hard it was to find gas for the car. So it's, it's fine for old people like me that don't have any kids at home saying, well, I don't know why you're not giving. Okay, we're all different. So we're not judging ourselves among each other. We're just saying, Lord, help me to develop a generous spirit. And you have to be very careful, uh, also on this, a generous spirit sometimes will be deceptive. The Lord really taught me this. I've shared it only one other time before. I was watching uh, a particular Christian organization that I really love. And I don't watch it a whole lot, but I still really love this ministry and believe in it. And they were talking about different levels of being givers. And I don't remember now, but one of the levels was, you know, Founders Club or whatever. And it was $10,000 a month. And I thought, wow. I thought, Lord, I said, I'd love to be able to give $10,000 a month to that organization. Now, I just want you to know, I cannot at this time. But I'd love to be able to give $10,000 a month. Now, listen to what happened to me. I left that room where I saw that and thought, oh, I'm such a generous person. I want to give $10,000 to that organization. And then I felt this. How much do you give now? Uh, nothing. Well, don't worry about 10000 How about giving 100 Uh, $100? Okay. Uh, why I'm saying that, sometimes you'll say, oh, man, I got a generous spirit. Okay. But sometimes it deceives you into thinking, I'm a generous person. I felt so generous when I walked out of that room. If it hadn't been for the Lord, I would have thought, I'm pretty something. And then, uh, okay, how much are you giving now? So be very careful that just a generous heart doesn't deceive you into thinking you really are generously. Start, start practicing. The third thing is we've got to be financially wise so we can be a giver. I know sometimes we have catastrophes in our lives that wipe us out financially, but as a general rule, you have to keep moving forward and say, I'm going to watch my money in a way that I can be a generous person. And I hope you know this from my teaching. My heart isn't that you need to bring more money in here. When that guy gave $17,000 to that missionary, I was thrilled. Nothing even came across my mind to go up to him and say, 
Well, we could have used that money here. What are you doing giving it to other people? You, we, no, just be generous where God wants you to be generous. And so you start wherever you're at. And you begin to get your finances in line. And as I've told you before, Darlene and I will always ask this question if we want to purchase something. Um, will, it, will it affect our charitable giving? Will it keep us from being the generous people we want to be? And if the answer is yes, we don't give it. Now, it could be an emergency where we have to do something, but as a general rule, we just say no to it. The fourth thing is dare to ask for more. Now, why are you daring to ask for more? Because you want to build your own kingdom? No, you're daring to ask for more so you can supply your needs and others. Do you know Paul said this to people when he wrote to the Ephesians? He said this, those of you who are stealing must steal no more. Now, I want you to know this. We grow in Christ. You wouldn't think you would have to tell a believer, quit stealing. But he's writing to believers. He said, those of you who have been stealing must steal no more. And you must do something useful with your own hands that you may meet your own needs and help others. Did you catch that? Meet your own needs and help others. So that's our goal. So you begin to be wise about your finances. Then you dare to ask for more so you can meet your needs and bless others. And the fifth thing is start right where you are. Start right where you are. Don't worry about one day when I'm all... No, start right where you are. A multi-billionaire gave a billion dollars to something in the last week or two and gave $100 million to food insecurity. And uh, it was interesting because most people who were talking about it said, oh, he's so rich, he just blah, 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 blah. And all I know is the, the organizations that got the $100 million from the multi-billionaire were very happy to get it. But somebody said, I'm not going to brag on him. That's eight-tenths of 1% of his income. Well, I don't know if he wanted to be bragged on anyway. But what I always want to say is, how much did you give? Well, 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 one day if I'm as rich as him, I'll really give. No, you've got to start where you're at right now. So you get out your little calculator, you say, I make $30,000 a year, eight-tenths of 1% is 24 bucks. I'm going to give $24. What if the 10 million people that were barking at the guy saying, cheapskate, what if they would have said, instead of us complaining about him, because he's got to deal with his own issues, we'll all send 24 bucks in. Think what 10 million people sending 24 bucks would have done to help food insecurity. I don't know for sure that this is why this happened, and I've told the story a couple times, but Darlie and I many years ago counseled with a, a doctor and his wife, and, and uh, his very prosperous, and, and he wasn't being braggadocious about it, but he made big money. And um, it was around Thanksgiving time, and he asked, he said, do you guys do any, you know, outreaches at Thanksgiving? And sometimes over the years we have, we'll make a little Thanksgiving bath. I said, we are this year. He said, I'd like to give something for it towards it. And I said, thank you. And, and uh, he gave $100 towards that. And I was excited about it. And, you know, we used it to make some Thanksgiving baskets. The next year, I hadn't seen the guy forever, but every year at Thanksgiving time, $100 would show up. And about the third or fourth time it showed up, I looked at that check and I went, that cheapskate, 100 bucks. He makes over $300,000 a year. He doesn't go to church, so I don't think he's a charitable giver at all. And he gives 100 bucks. What a cheapskate. Now, I want to say this. That's the last 100 I ever got. It's not me to judge that. The, the, the Thanksgiving baskets could use the 100 bucks, even if the guy makes $10 million. So I, want to be very, I always want to be very careful. If, if, if somebody gives you $5, say thank you. So always have that generous heart. Let's pray together.